We'd like to welcome you to our emergency freedom alerts for November 20th, 2023. We've got a very large study to do today. I don't know how far I'm going to get, but I'm going to try to get as many parts through as I can. And uh, we're rotating our warfare prayers, updated group prayer list, list of current event prayer points. This is the part one. I've split it into two parts now to make it more feasible to pray. Um, we rotate. There's about four different prayers that we rotate at the start of any given audio. So I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer. Father God in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for you to expose and destroy the Great Reset Agenda worldwide designed to bring in the New World Order and for your divine intervention regarding the conflict in Israel, in the Middle East, in the Ukraine. Please protect the Christians, the innocent, and the righteous in these and the surrounding areas, and may these conflicts be used to bring forth your truth and righteousness. We pray that every evil plan and scheme of evil be exposed and destroyed regarding these wars, and for God to expose and destroy the pandemic vaccine agenda worldwide with all of its big, big brother aspects like DNA defiling, graphene oxide filled, parasite ridden, nanotech laden vaccinations from Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen, Johnson & Johnson, BioNTech, AstraZeneca and others and for the stoppage of all digital health passports and for God's judgment and destruction to be on the vaccine and medical cartels perpetuating this evil and for them to be exposed and destroyed. And for God to thwart any deep state false flag attacks in order to blame anti-vaxxers, Christians, and gun owners. We pray for the destruction of CERN and all the 30,000 plus particle colliders worldwide and the destruction of all D-Wave quantum computers and for the eradication of every wicked portal or doorway these devices and all witchcraft taking place in the universe have opened and that all dark matter they have created uh, to be destroyed. We pray for the destruction of the wicked plans of this evil current American political administration and all evil political administrations worldwide and for the fear of God to be upon both the Democrats and the Republicans and all, all the parties, Lord, and if they will not repent of their wickedness that God would hedge up their way with thorns and have them in total confusion and derision and that they would turn on each other and devour one another against every level of government that has been hijacked by wickedness for the destruction of the Chinese CCP plans for taking over America, Mexico, Canada, and elsewhere for the eradication of groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa for the diverting of any incoming asteroids or meteors that might hit the earth for God's intervention regarding the Second Amendment and the disarmament gun confiscation situation developing in the U.S. and elsewhere for God's intervention regarding the coming food and water shortages and the honeybee die-off worldwide for the stoppage of all UN troops already in America and elsewhere <clears throat> Regarding the body of Christ, we pray for strength, endurance, courage, guidance, favor, divine providence, and foreknowledge, and the power to overcome all this wickedness that is increasing by the day. For the defense and the protection and victory of all Christians worldwide, especially the persecuted, and also all the targeted individuals worldwide. For God to reveal any unconfessed sin, iniquity, trespasses, and transgressions to his Christians that need to be repented of, and any, and any ungodly agreements we have made with this world and for God's will to be done in all Christian churches, whether in buildings, online, or otherwise, that are in bondage to the spirit of witchcraft, and for God to expose and remove all the witches and ministers of Satan masquerading as angels of light in them, and to break the power of all witchcraft over these churches in Jesus' name, and to loose the spirits of truth and discernment on the deceived Christians worldwide, for them to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the truth, and to deliver his Christians from the spirit of witchcraft and from following a false light. We pray as you instructed in Luke 10.2 that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. And we also pray according to Psalm 19.12-14, for the Lord to cleanse us from secret faults and to keep us from presumptuous sins that they would not have dominion over us. 
Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For all Christians to wake up and spread the gospel and push back against all their freedoms being taken away. For the destruction of the 501c3 FEMA clergy response teams being activated in America to betray and destroy the Christians and that they would be exposed. <clears throat> We pray against the slaughter of Christians worldwide for their protection, Lord. And we loose legions of angels regarding all these prayer points to accomplish your will. We bind up every devil, demon, evil entity, or fallen angel that would try to hinder these petitions or angels and command them to go where Jesus Christ tells them to go and command that none can come to take their place. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, just a little, uh, a little devotional here, really. It's called Among the Thousands. And this is Micah 5 too, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And this was a um, prophecy regarding the coming of Jesus Christ. And then we have confirmation, Matthew 2, 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And then John 7, 42 says, hath, and this is New Testament, obviously, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem. Okay, so, and again, where it says that is Micah 5, 2. So we have confirmation that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. So this devotional says, once I was doing a Bible study and I remember doing an internet search on the town of Bethlehem, I was looking to find some more recent news and events, but I came across something interesting. As I did my search, there were numerous other towns called Bethlehem that came up in the search results. I found Bethlehem in Pennsylvania, New York, New Hampshire, several others. I had to be more specific in my search about which Bethlehem, since it was just one of so many. When I got a specific... When I got specific about Bethlehem, I found the information that I was looking for with dozens of websites coming up. Long before the birth of Jesus, Micah wrote about the plan God had for Bethlehem. It wasn't for any other Bethlehem, but this one specifically, the one we, we just mentioned in Micah. <clears throat> uh, but the words after the specific name catch my attention. The Bible reads, little among the thousands of Judah. And again, it's Micah 5.2. Uh, Bethlehem was never a major city. Instead, it was a support city to help protect Jerusalem. Even though it was small, it was essential. Not only was it a support to Jerusalem, it was going to be the birthplace of the Savior of the world. It was a plan specifically for that city, even though it was small among the thousands. From the events to the very locations where it happens, God has a plan for everything in life. That includes you. While there may be thousands, even millions of people in this world, God has a plan and a purpose just for you. While we often think of popular and powerful people who accomplish great things, it often comes through obedience of someone among the thousands. Though we may feel small and insignificant, we are significant to God. Instead of worrying about the thousands around us, let us resolve to live for God and for his purpose and to accomplish his will in our lives. So anyway, I just thought that was a little positive thing to kind of start out with and uh, kind of an encouragement there. Uh, first video I'm going to be playing here. <clears throat> is called the strong delusion is coming it's a very short one and i entitled this the pied piper of the coming deception michael sala i had a listener email me a michael sala video the other day now i've exposed michael sala on many occasions but 
when I did a keyword search up on contendingfortruth.com, I only found one teaching where I had actually listed his name in the title where it was searchable. So I've talked about him a lot. He's, I think he's been on Mike Adams. He's, yeah, this guy is really the Pied Piper of the coming alien agenda. He, he owns and runs a, a website called Exopolitics, meaning extraterrestrial politics. He is one of the main, main players regarding the coming alien agenda, strong delusion, uh, ascended master, new world order, new age. I mean, this guy is yoked up with it all. Highly dangerous. He's a doctor. And um, I've played many of his clips before. I'm sure you'll even recognize his voice here. Or I'm This voice, I, I don't know if his voice is actually in this video, but... He just put out a video called World War III or ET Disclosure. What path will humanity take? So in other words, we have this choice of is it going to be World War III or are we going to have ET Disclosure? Are the aliens going to come and save us essentially? Which path will humanity take? And you're going to and this has been a <clears throat> a subject that I have covered over and over and over again in this ministry. Uh, I wasn't seeing this subject ever in all my years in the church going from like, wow, 19, basically 1994 to about 2005 ish around there. Um, I wasn't seeing the subject covered in the church ever it was never mentioned. And, and if it ever was which I don't think it ever was that I can ever remember. It was mentioned very much in a joking pa passing type of way. Uh, no validity, um, tinfoil hat wearing. But you look at Hollywood, you look at all the billions they've put into brainwashing us about this particular stuff. You look at the soft disclosure movement with all these different former astronauts and former high-level people in the Air Force coming out and talking about UFOs and their interactions and all the secret space programs that, you know, these dark black budgets where all of our taxpayer, a ton of our taxpayer money goes missing into. You're seeing more and more about of it. And I predicted this a long time ago, and it's not because I'm whatever. It's just because it's what they said they were going to do. They were going <laughs> to... The, all, all this thing about the, the sci-fi, the shows, um, the movies, it's all part of soft disclosure. It's all part about getting us to, getting us prepared to accept this. Um, and this movement is going to go absolutely, totally contrary to the word of God. It's going to um, say that the Bible's a lie and that... <clears throat> Here's the truth, and that Jesus is just one of us, one of the ascended masters when they do make their big debut, and he's going to look just like the same Jesus that's hanging up at all the churches all over, you know, Catholic, Presbyterian, you name it. That particular ascended master Jesus is called Esau Sananda Emmanuel, or Master Jesus. He's one of the lesser ascended masters. He is going to be the one they say is going to go to the Christian denominations and there's thousands of them at this point i think there's like fifty thousand i saw the other day different variations different flavors of christianity all over the earth there's that many there's thousands of them i mean which one's right <laughs> which one you know but 
hardly any of those denominations are really addressing this particular problem that is coming, that I do believe is going to be the backbone of the coming strong delusion that God said he was going to send in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned or receive not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's going to be, and that's the same exact time where the Antichrist is arising and the falling away of the church, and then it's all there laid out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So this guy, Michael Sally, is one of the major, major players in this particular movement. Um, David Wilcock, who Mike Adams has had on his show interviewed over and over and is in full unity with even though mike adams calls himself a christian okay you, you can't be yoked up with satan and then call yourself a christian and flip-flop back and forth like mike adams does it's like you know whatever person he's got on his show he's typically acting like he's in full agreement slash unity with yet he's got such a broad array of people that he that he has on all the time. Stephen Benoon's just on there the other day, who, you know, says he's a Christian. Um, and yet he's got David Wilcock on there, who is so opposite of being a Christian, it boggles the mind. Says he's in constant communication with the Archangel Michael. Yet if he actually was, why is this supposed Archangel, uh, Archangel Michael telling him so many unbiblical things all the way like going back into the 1990s? So much that he's he's wrote this gigantic whatever treaties book thing that you can buy for like 1995 and get your free Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie and garden weasel with it if you order within the next 20 minutes type of, of ad, you know, that he would run. Sorry, a little humor there. Um, yeah, so you you can't, you can't call yourself a Christian and then promote all these different satanic platforms. Okay, it doesn't work that way. It just, I'm sorry, it, it doesn't. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And Mike Adams is one of the most double-minded ever. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, if I can get to it today, um, well, actually, probably not going to be playing that clip today. Because I will still glean from Mike Adams about certain things, just like I will still glean from Alex Jones's website about certain things. They've got some things are right on the money and some many are not. Um, and that's the whole process of gleaning. Um, but yeah, so that's what you, what you have going on there. So Michael Sala is um, the guy we're going to be looking at. He just put out this little video. I'm just going to play this. Okay. So increasingly what i'm seeing with michael sala who i check his website uh, i don't know two three times a week typically because i realize he really is on the cutting edge of putting this whole disclosure movement out and in painting it in the most pos positive way possible and it's always about good cop bad cop you're always going to have your Republican and Democrat alien, Democrat aliens meaning good bad aliens oh these are the good aliens and these are the bad ones Okay, um, it's the same right-left paradigm that the New World Order has been using for millennia in order to steer people into the way, you know, they want them to move. So um, I'm just going to roll this video here. From ancient times, powerful off-world beings described as gods, Elohim, or Amunaki have steadily... No, so we're dealing with... Um, Okay, Elohim is not the right word to combine with Anunnaki. Okay, um, 
Anunnaki, and I've done whole uh, whole teaching on the Anunnaki of the Bible, the sons of Anuk. Um, you can key in Anunnaki in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com, and these are the Nephilim hybrids, a, a byproduct of the offspring of um, the fallen angels and humanity or some other entity that they have bred with, okay? And they were, yes, revered on planet Earth as gods. Um, and again, this is where a lot of the Greek mythology comes from. This is where we look at Genesis 6, where, you know, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took them wives all that they chose. They bore them giants, which is where we get the word Nephilim, or, um, which means the fallen ones. So that's where this is all. Now, they... They like to combine all this stuff and they like to say, these are the God. There's no real God of the Bible. These are the gods of old. These are the gods that are coming back. And um, this is what they, these new agers and these people in the disclosure movement like to do. They're never going to ever, um, they will, now they, you will hear them quote some scripture. They, they will cherry pick things they like in the Bible where they can use it out of context out of context with the rest of the Bible, like all cults do, most cults will, especially if they have any kind of Christian bent to them, they will cherry pick Bible verses, Jehovah Witnesses do it, Mormons do it, you know, so many of them do it. They'll cherry pick Bible verses and then isolate them uh, and then use that to build some type of cult doctrine around it. And this is what people like him do. ...human events and personalities. Homer's Iliad is one of the earliest accounts of how the gods toyed with humans in contriving senseless wars such as the siege of Troy. And these devils and these demons and these types of entities do uh, do, do that. They, they, they love, it's like this is what they feed off of. They feed off of misery, suffering, war, death, these types of things. His book, The Gods of Eden, William Bramley presents extensive data showing how extraterrestrials secretly operating behind the scenes have manipulated human conflict from the dawn of history up to the present era. So no, it's no talk of the God of the Bible or anything. It's, it's extraterrestrials doing all of this. And these are the, the source of the gods that they've always ruled over us, but some sometimes they've kind of gone more into secret, secretive roles, whereas at other times they were more out in the open. And this is the... Uh, this is the brainwashing type of context that, you know, they're always trying to get you to believe. Not to say that there's not evil entities always been behind the scenes. There are. But again, they always exclude the biblical narrative. Always. They all, or they, they mangle it. They, they just absolutely try to destroy it and give it no validity. Regressive extraterrestrials have been able to contrive historical wars through their specially chosen... And so regressive extra... And then they show a picture of a reptilian. So it's the bad aliens that are doing the bad things. They're the ones that are doing the whole controlling the governments now on planet Earth and the all the Eye of Horus and, and the Illuminati and all this other... They're the bad guys. Minions who regard their superiors as gods whose commands had to be obeyed to the letter. Bramley and other authors such as Jim Mars and David Icke have identified these regressive beings as off-world reptilians that are worshipped through satanic blood sacrifice rituals practiced by secret societies 
all over the planet. Yeah, and it probably does happen, you know. But they're all bad. Okay, regardless of if they come as angels of light, like the Bible says, it's no marvel if Satan can transform himself into an angel of light, that his ministers, and his ministers just don't have to be human. They can be um, fallen angelic, which can transform themselves into also angels of light. It's no marvel if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. So this is where these ministers of righteousness, or they appear to be ministers of righteousness, but they're anything but that. It's just the right-left paradigm taking place. Oh, these are the good guy. These are the good guy aliens. Or the good guy extraterrestrials. And here's the bad ones. Today, many believe we are on the verge of a third world war due to escalating regional wars in the Gaza Strip and Ukraine. In both of these military conflicts, along with other hotspots <clears throat> such as North Korea and Taiwan, Regressive extraterrestrials and their minions have stoked the flames of war. The goal has been to prevent the Earth's transition into a fifth density global civilization that openly interacts with positive extraterrestrial visitors such as the Galactic Federation of Worlds, Andromeda Council and Ashtar Command. So these are all good guy alien groups that the only reason we've got all this wickedness on the planet according to this devil and so many others like him, is because you've got all these regressive reptilian alien entities that are in control of the world governments that are creating all of this war, but these good aliens want to come so bad and be our buddies and help us out and get us out of this mess that we're in. But see, we've got to invite them in. It's like when a vampire comes to your front door, you got to invite them in. They even, you know, that whole lore about that, you know, or a black-eyed child. The, the accounts of it. They have to be invited in. They come to your car. They have to be invited in. They're always asking to get in your house. Well, this is the same dynamic going on with these other supposed positive. Now, if they plunge us into World War III, and let's say that, that World War III goes global, and they create just this horrific, horrible war that permeates to the rest of the world and people are absolutely desperate to make it stop well this is the perfect time for these positive ones these supposed positive extraterrestrial entities to make their big debut via the ascended masters via the positive alien whatever you want to call it it's all lying delusion and to come to humanity and say hey okay we got everything figured out we can but you you have to reach out to us you have to invite us in you have to and people are going to be so desperate that and they're going to have a totally different narrative than the bible ever presented guaranteed on that um they're going to be prime to be taken over and to accept this strong delusion that is is coming Understanding Israel-Palestine, Ukraine, and other looming armed conflicts requires an exopolitical frame of reference. Exopolitical mean extraterrestrial political. And I, I do believe this is where this is all ending up. I've been predicting this for many, many years. I've done, I don't know how many mega studies on this, just key an alien agenda in the keyword search box. I've talked about this so many times uh, where we've, you know, I'm, I've been trying to prepare and prep my listeners for this eventuality. Due to the critical role played by both positive and negative factions of extraterrestrials, 
Along with the existence of ancient technologies such as space arcs that are activating and are highly sought by the Earth's leading military powers. Human consciousness is quickly rising during these end times, bringing with it the last gasping effort by the cabal and their reptilian over. And it's funny, I, I see the same rhetoric from like the old Q movement, which is still going strong, and the whole all these people up on like before it's news, that one web aggregate website, and all these these people saying the same, oh, they we've got them on the run. They're almost they're beat, and that's you know, that's why, you know, the Bidens and, and the, the Trudeaus and all there, we've got them on the run and, and, and they're just in desperation mode now. And, and we, we've almost got them whipped and that's why they're just lashing out. And it's the same exact rhetoric and in the, in the, where they're still promoting Trump like crazy. I mean, Trump's going to come and save us. He's still the, the he's going to be the human ambassador, at least what they're predicting to come back and save the day even though he's one of the most degenerate humans that ever walked the planet i hopefully i've proven that in my numerous numerous studies i've done on him and my over i think it's up to like over 125 pages of documentation uh exposing that devil and um court records included so um he's going to be the one that comes to save the day and then other people like um general flynn who also prays to michael the archangel and mike lindell and other supposed positive patriots in the i don't know freedom movement a lot of the doctors that are in that movement i've, I've talked a lot about this the freedom doctors and and it's the great reset versus the great, you know, renaissance that's that's coming. And it's this big. And I'm telling you, they're both they're two sides of the same coin. They're just two sides of the same coin. I've been warning about this for a long time. There, it's problem, reaction, solution. They're they're giving us the problem, which is you know everywhere you look, all the wickedness encroaching. And then so they're going to have all the solutions, but that's most likely not going to come unless there we have a world war three scenario where people are at maximum desperation okay because they know you're going to be more receptive if you're in a maximum desperation mode to prevent extraterrestrial disclosure and humanity's awakening yeah it's all about humanity's awakening go taking us from the old world order into the new world order from the age of pisces into the dawning of the age of aquarius like that one song that's this is what this is all about this is exactly what and i mean again you had songs like that predicting that what like back in the 60s and, and again so many movies and series and just so much stuff to point us in that direction find out more and that was michael Sala's voice you were hearing Join Dr. Michael Sala in his first exopolitical state of the planet webinar <laughs> on November 25th, 2023. Topics will include the Ukraine and Israel-Palestine wars, manufacturing World War III, the battle over consciousness, and extraterrestrial disclosure. See how they're linking it all together? Which is the same thing I've been doing as well because it's, it's all going to be, you know, linked together. So it's almost inescapable. I mean, it's going to be something where, oh, you can't just, you know, um, it's all tied together. And that's the way they want it to be. Don't wait. 
Register today. Okay, so anyway, we have that. Now, next report, which I do believe relates to this. Um, I entitled this The Post-Human Apocalypse. Now, granted, I'm not going to say it's ever going to be post-human because there's, there's no Bible for post-human. There's none. Okay, Sure, that's if if Satan had his way, if, if the New World Order had, yeah, they, we, would, we would move into some type of post-human, transhumanism, hellish type. But that's like God doesn't exist and that's not the case. Okay, God's always, you know, 100 moves ahead of Satan. But they would like to bring about a post-human apocalypse. Timothy Alberino discussing the coming transhuman, post-human apocalypse. Again, I don't, but I don't, um, it's never going to get to the point where there's no humanity left. Okay. Now the Bible does say if, if, if God didn't shorten those days, would, would any flesh be spared essentially? Okay. Uh, but we're not going to get to that point. Uh, but reconciling the alien agenda and disclosure the alien disclosure movement with the Bible and the rise of the Antichrist in a new technocratic world order and the gospel of Christ. Now, I like what he said here because um, it ties a lot of this together. It ties a lot about the gospel and the coming strong delusion and having your house built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. So when the winds and the waves come and all these, you're not going to be moved off that. Because I think that's super mega important. And again, something that's probably hardly, if ever, discussed in other, in, in the mainstream church movement. And it's a big reason this ministry exists. Now, he just also got back from Peru, where he went down to where, you remember when we talked about the face peelers down in Peru, those, those alien-like things that were showing up in the jungle? He went down there. He knows their dialect. He went down there with the team and interviewed them. He went to the villages. But I don't have time to play that. It's like oh, two and a half hours long or whatever. But if you, um, the link here will take you to his channel, or you can just can Timothy Alberino, A L B E R I N O, on YouTube, and you should find his channel really quick. And he's it's like a two and a half hour. He in fact he did many many videos on the whole thing. Um, so if you want to see what his findings were, anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and play this. That's not what this is about. This is um a little bit different subject but in a way it, it is related this is the this is the future and we need to instill in our children the the importance of preserving their humanity so that they can instill into their children the importance of preserving their humanity because i believe that it is my grandchildren i, I don't believe that we've got that kind of time left where we're going to have to worry about our grandchildren if you if your children haven't had grand in other words i think that the day has come when we, we we don't have that kind of you know 30 40 years for that type of dynamic that he's discussing to take place now i could be wrong but i just think that there's so many things that are already in place we've got all the technology for the mark of the beast we didn't have that in the 1800s we didn't have that in the 1950s we didn't have that in the 19... The, the infrastructure is what I'm saying has all been set up. There's really not a whole lot of things lacking. And as I see evil increasing at such an exponential pace, I, I have a hard time believing we're going to have to worry about grandchildren. Now, um, I'm just talking about until like the tribulation starts and then that, okay? Now, again, I could be wrong, but 
that's my personal opinion. Who are, who are going to be really living in this reality. But no, I do 100% agree that we this need this truth that we're talking about here that I was just talking about does need to be instilled and ingrained in our family, our loved ones, those that have eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth. I mean, by all means, 100%. I'm seeing the beginning of it. My I have five sons, my sons are going to see the further development of it and my grandchildren are going to be living in the post-human age uh, and 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 again this is there's no stopping it because it's 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 been predicted thousands of years ago that this would occur um, and again if people are interested in seeing how it's been predicted I, I would refer you to my book but uh, th so this is a focus of mine and uh, you know, and I get, he just published a new book, I guess. And I'm not, I imagine if you search maybe Amazon for Timothy Alberino, uh, I think he mentions the book in this. I'm only playing the latter half of this interview for time's sake, but I guess he gets into that whole thing. But again, it's, it's the whole subject of transhumanism. It's the whole subject of how they're changing our DNA. Uh, I don't know if he gets into how the kill shots are changing our DNA and all the stuff that they're doing to interface like our phones and 5G and the cell phone towers and probably CERN and D-Wave quantum computers and all the chemicals and nanotech they're putting in the food and, and the, with the chemtrails and the stuff in the water. And this is that whole transhumanism. And then people willingly going and, and wanting to get microchip implants put in them and in this big transhumanism movement, um, that's what I think he, he's in reference to with all of this when he says post-human. And I have to admit, I haven't done the greatest job so far at preparing my children because it's very difficult to, to broach these topics. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to convey the gravity of the situation to young children. And you don't want to frighten your kids with with this dystopian reality that's coming. Um, but at the same time, you want to prepare them. And so I think that most fundamental, most fundamental in, in terms of preparing your family for what's coming is to make sure that, that you and your spouse and your children are firmly grounded in the gospel of Christ because it is the gospel of Christ that will serve, serves and will serve as the anchor in the coming storm. Right. Amen. Because it is the gospel of Christ that gives us the most resounding answer to the question, is our humanity worth preserving? And the answer, according to the gospel, is unequivocally yes, and in fact, the gravest of consequences will occur if you do not preserve your humanity in that you will forfeit your you will forfeit the grace of God through the cross of Christ because because Jesus died he became a man to redeem mankind he died to redeem the offspring of Adam. He did not die for the angels. He did not die for post-humanity. He died for mankind. And if you 
become something other than mankind, then you are no longer a candidate for salvation through the cross of Christ. And there is nothing graver than that scenario. So uh, this is why it grieves me that so many churches, in America at least, certainly probably all over the West, have have divorced themselves to some extent from the gospel of Christ and are focusing on all of these other things and yet they have such a they have they have such a paltry understanding of the gospel and certainly are not addressing the questions previously mentioned from the biblical perspective with the urgency that I think is required in this day and age in other words it is a deep understanding of the gospel that will anchor us and direct us through the storm that's coming. And so it needs to be reinforced in from every pulpit in the West, especially. And it's and, and the opposite is happening. The gospel is becoming watered down and lost. The meaning of the gospel, the story of the gospel, which is the greatest story ever told. Uh, is being lost in pageantry and superficiality, perfunctory issues and topics that have no bearing on what is coming. Uh, I 100% agree with you on these things. Um, I, I, I actually had to scale back how much I railed against what's going on in a sense because and I didn't have to scale back, but I just I kind of readjusted the way I think on certain things because uh, I was going so hard on Western church. And that's what I can speak to. I'm, I've, I'm in, in the United States. Right. But um, somebody brought up to me uh, about a year ago. I was I was railing about it uh, to them and where it's kind of gone. And uh, they said just simply to me in a very innocent way, they said, um, oh, I agree with you. Uh, but I did get saved in one of those churches and I was just like, okay, you know, I don't agree with a lot of things that are going on in these churches. Uh, but to, for me, cause I was, um, I was pretty much telling people don't even touch them, just stay away from them. And it's like, well, if that's your only option, uh, okay. You know, um, but, uh, so let me ask you about this whole transhumanism thing though. Um, because Jesus Christ came and died for mankind. Uh, and this is something that I think is elementary, but is it really, is it really, is this a, a game plan played out by Satan over a long period of time to get to this point? Or is this something that, that was, that that's that's happened out of randomness through advancement of technology and human human desire to be their own gods and i would say that that is probably both the same that that desire has been implanted by satan himself um but like we see we see in the hist throughout history like at the, way back at the beginning of 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 uh, i think it was the, the catholic church i don't remember uh but there was a strategic removal of this idea of the supernatural from the scriptures. And I, I feel like that was one thing that kind of put us in it on this path of 
not acknowledging God, not, not, not acknowledging Satan even exists. And so, uh, is this like kind of like the next step with the transhumanism where it's like, um, phase two to basically take humans and disqualify them from, from being human? Well, what was the original temptation to Eve? If she, if she eats of the fruit of, of the tree of knowledge, she will become like the gods. Apotheotheism. That was the original temptation. And that is going to be the last temptation for mankind. And just as Eve ate of the fruit and suffered the consequences thereafter, so too will mankind eat of the fruit and, su and suffer the consequences. And in regard to what I believe has been forfeited, what I believe has been lost in the Western church to some extent is the story of the gospel has become, as I said, a secondary theme when in fact, I don't think most Christians have truly grasped how magnificent the story of the gospel truly is. And I, I grew up in church. I, I, my father was a pastor. I was a leader in the youth group. I was involved in all of the activities. I grew up in church, and I had a very good upbringing. And I had, I would say that I've had a, 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 an intense, let's say, relationship with God ever since I was very small. And, and yet it wasn't until I was 19 years old standing by, standing on the bank of a tributary to the river Masan, deep in the Amazon jungle, that I began to truly understand the gospel of Christ. Because I pondered the question, what does it mean to be a human being? And that question, by the way, what does it mean to be a human being? Really, it, it is most relevant to the disclosure of the alien presence. And then the, the second question, is our humanity worth preserving, is most relevant to the unfolding of transhumanism. So those questions, when you deal with those two questions, you, you, are, you, will, you will know how to navigate the alien presence and transhumanism. Right. Yeah. Because when you understand what it means to be a human being, and you understand the unfolding of that story, of the narrative, the biblical narrative, as it pertains to mankind, then you realize that you're not the only player in the game. And you should come to, uh, you should develop, if you understand the story correctly, you should develop what I call a Christocentric perspective, or rather what's known as a Christocentric perspective in that Christ becomes the center of the universe. He, everything is about him. Everything was created through him and by him and for him, not for us. Right. Amen. 
not for mankind, not for the angels. Everything was created for him. He is the center. He is the epicenter of the universe. And it's his story, not ours. He is the protagonist, not us. And when you begin to properly place mankind in that story, and we have a very important place in that story, uh, then your paradigm just, it expands exponentially. In other words, I think man has a tendency to think that he is, just from the pride standpoint alone, and, and Satan will feed into that, that he is the center of the universe, and that it's all about you. I mean, that's what, think about it, that's what the modern day world would have you pretty much believe. But it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, and, and again, that's so important when discussing this subject of transhumanism and the, the alien agenda. Again, two gigantic deceptions that are here and coming on the horizon. And this is why I love that he addressed this particular subject. And you have now, you can now comfortably accommodate the alien question when that happens and i think people who've had that experience know what i'm talking about you can comfortably accommodate the alien presence mm -hmm. and and navigate your way through um the the things that we're seeing in the news routinely now in terms of of the of ufos and so forth so i don't know how i got on that track but <laughs> something something spawned that uh, that thought in my mind happens to me all the time all the time <laughs> a lot of times i ask the guests hey wh what was i saying you know so uh so based on that though um so the other guy talking is a guy named tony merkel of the confessionals podcast.com i don't know anything about and i'm not saying I'm in, I'm in full agreement with everything timothy alberino believes in or this guy we're, we're gleaning here i just think this is a super important subject that you know needs to be addressed in all all churches and, and, and again it's a big reason i came out of all these different denominations i had been a part of because i saw this 900 pound gorilla coming and nobody that no church i had ever been in had addressed it even remotely and i'm like yeah but there's a lot of people that need to know about it. And i think that's the reason when i went on sermon audio i would talk about stuff like this and I think that's why God blessed it so much because people were thirsting. I, I I can't tell you how many people email me still, and they're like, "I've been a listener of yours on Sermon Audio since 2006 or whatever." Okay, <laughs> so, um, you know, praise God, you know, the Lord's allowed me to remain uh, uh, to be still relevant after all those years because again i'm still discussing things <laughs> that a lot of the churches won't touch with a 20-foot pole doesn't make me better i'm just like i know i needed this i needed to know about this i saw this when i was a wee little christian i mean when i got saved reading and en route to global occupation by gary ka which gave the blueprint for the new world order still that book is just as valid today as it was when I read it back in early part of 1994. That was a book that led me to the Lord. It's talked about Freemasonry, the Illuminati, the United Nations, all the stuff that's happening today, I predicted. And I'm like, that was my foundational underpinning for all of this. So um, this whole alien agenda transhumanism just segues right with that. And, and I just felt way, way back in the day, I'm like, 
yet I read this book and I saw nothing. I never saw hardly anything about this book ever addressed in any of the churches. And I had been in other churches before that. I mean, I was in a Lutheran middle school, Catholic high school. Uh, you know, I went to like the church some uh, with my grandparents um, on my, was it my, my dad's side? Yeah. We went to like a Presbyterian church some with them, went to a Catholic church with my grandma when I was wee little, when I, when I'd go up to Ohio, I, again, I never saw even before, during or after conversion, I never saw this ever be addressed. I had to say it was Christ centric. Is that what you Christocentric. said? Christocentric. Um, as opposed to anthropocentric, anthropocentric. See, the anthropocentric perspective of the universe is the is the, I would say, the common perspective um, that most Christians have, uh, and it, it it places man at the center of the universe. Right. That we're the reason why the earth was created. We're the reason why the universe was created. Everything is revolving around us. We're the hub mm. of the wheel. Yeah. And and all the other players in the game, all the other characters in the universe are ancillary characters to our story. We are the primary protagonist. That is some serious pride and audacity when you think about it to be that anthropocentric position. I mean, come on. But that is not the biblical view. Clearly no. not the biblical view. The biblical view places Christ at the center. He is the hub of the wheel. We are one of the spokes on the wheel. Along with, by the way, our elder siblings, the angels. Right. I mean, and again, I don't know if I'm going to refer to the angels as our siblings, because siblings would imply the same, like, if you have a sibling, it's it's another human. Okay, a angels are a different, they're, they're part of the, I would say more, I think a better word to use personally would be part of the family of God. I would feel a little more comfortable at that, at that as opposed to calling them our siblings. They're they're different created uh, beings, okay? They're not human. Okay, so I, again, I know you can get into the whole, well, you're splitting hairs. I, that's just for me, I would rather refer to them. We're in the same, we're in the family of God together. That's personally, that's just me though. Oh, th this, this um, what you're talking about, I... I think I, I read this in your book towards the beginning. I think you probably covered it in the first couple chapters. You were talking about this, and yeah, the in the elder race, the chapter entitled "The Elder Race." Yeah, I, I, I when I was reading it, I um, I remember I put it down and I walked out in the kitchen and I tried relaying to my wife what I just read, and I was like. You're just going to have to read it yourself because it's like I'm doing an awful job. Uh, we got to get Tim on the show to talk about it because I don't know. I, I have no idea. Um, but it, I remember the feeling that I had when I read it, which was it was like a light bulb moment. And it, it allowed me to just everything kind of fell into place mentally for me. And I was I was just like, ah, got it. Yes. It, it, it just it, it helps really make sense of everything. That's right. When you put Christ in the center of the universe, everything else falls into place. Right. That is the correct theological starting position. Christ is at the center. Right. Everything was created through him and for him and by him. Or through him and by him and for him. And all things consist in him. So So he's the foundation. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11 verse 3. So 
if you start out from that anthropocentric position like he was talking about, well, then everything else falls apart and every, you know, you're, you're just getting off on a horrible theological footing if that's where you're starting from, being man-centered. Everything's about me, which is just pride and self and so much of what the Bible preaches against. When you have that as the beginning, as your starting point, and, and mankind is not the, the, the most important thing going on, then it just expands your paradigm. It's it it's and it and, it, and it's very. It is a moment in which, uh, as you said, a light bulb goes off in your head because it's like putting it, the most crucial piece of a jigsaw puzzle in place, and then suddenly you start to see how all these other pieces can start to fit together around it, and um, so many people are starting from the wrong position. They're starting from an anthropocentric perspective of the universe. And so they have a hard time dealing with the concept of an extraterrestrial or of a being that predates mankind or of a universe that has more going on in it than just the affairs of mankind. Uh, that is a very, it's a very poor uh perspective of reality and you're going to run into all kinds of problems uh, as you broach certain topics especially the topics revolving around the alien presence yeah i i feel like we're very quickly approaching a point where uh they've been doing it for a while but just your traditional christian perspective uh, they are getting deeper and deeper, putting their head in the sand, saying, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's like, well, hold on, saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and it's just they keep going deeper with the idea. It's just it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Um, it, it's this, this classic uh, question that I, you know, I pondered years ago when I first started looking at the stuff. Uh, and many people ask me, like, it's funny because you, you, you um, and I'm sure you deal with this, too, where you're talking with people, say, in your everyday life, and they ask you a question. And you're like, do you understand how much energy I have to take just to back up to work you up to where I'm at right now to make this all make sense for you? Uh, and you get that a lot at church and stuff. And it's the classic question. If aliens were to exist, what does that do about, about God? It, 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 Nothing. You, it doesn't affect the gospel of Christ at all. It does no violence to the gospel of Christ whatsoever. And in fact, we already know that because angels exist. And the existence of angels does no does no violence to the gospel of Christ. It does not alter it. And angels are by definition by definition extraterrestrial beings. They exist. They pre-exist mankind clearly. Pre-exist mankind. Their provenance, their origin, is not planet Earth. They are therefore extraterrestrial. And and their existence has for centuries not not altered the gospel of Christ. So why should the existence of some other extraterrestrial species alter the gospel of Christ? See, if Christ is in the center, if it's his story, if he is the purpose of the universe, then there could be all kinds of things going on in the universe that have nothing to do with us because it's not about us. What pertains to us is the gospel of Christ, that he became one of us to redeem us. He became a man to redeem mankind. That is unique even the angels marveled at that and the gospel is rather the the writers of the new testament are explicit that christ did not 
give aid to the angels. In other words, he did not die for the angels. He did not, he did not come to redeem the angels, but, but to redeem mankind. And so um, that's the gospel of Christ. And that doesn't change. And people, people will argue. I've even seen intellectuals at the Vatican arguing that, well, if, Christ, if extraterrestrials exist, then obviously Christ would have had to gone and die for them as well. Why? He did not die for the angels. So why should we expect him to die for the aliens or for other factions? It doesn't make any sense. So the argument is to some extent moot. We already know that humanity is unique in this relationship to the Son of God, that he became one of us, that he took upon himself the sin of mankind and nailed it to the cross. That only pertain, it pertains exclusively to the offspring of Adam, exclusively. We are the prodigal son. And, and so he lead, Christ leads us back into the family of God. And, uh, and, and back, not, not just as a servant, but back into sonship in the Father's house. That's part of the mystery and the magnificence of the gospel of Christ that most people have not, never really encountered. This idea that mankind was created to be a sibling in the royal family. That's, that was where we were supposed to be. See, that's the tragedy of the fall. The tragedy of the fall of Adam is the fact that we were sundered from the family of God, sundered from our original purpose, because the primary purpose of mankind was fellowship with the Father in the family of God. That was the primary purpose. Secondarily, we were created to govern the earth. That's our twofold purpose, fellowship in the family of God and to be vice regents of this realm. Now, this is going all the way back to the Garden of Eden is what he's in reference to. A realm in the midst of other realms. So, uh, and we have siblings in this family. That's who the angels are, clearly who the angels are in the scriptures. Um, uh, and, of course, we have, just like among human beings, we have those of us who desire to be reconciled to the Father, right? We, Because that's what the gospel of Christ is. See, we are redeemed. And by the way, the, the word redemption means to be bought back, to be purchased, to be bought back. Who are we being bought back from? Who are, who are we being redeemed from? Well, the parable of the prodigal son tells us who we're being redeemed from. The swine herd. The prodigal son became indentured to the swineherd. The swineherd is, is an archetype of Satan. And so because of sin, we were condemned with the enemies of God. Our lot was with the enemies of God because of sin, because of Adam's sin. We're condemned with the swineherd, so we had to be purchased back. That's redemption. But that's not the end of the gospel. We're redeemed so that we might be reconciled. And reconciliation means to be brought back into friendship, because the Bible says, the New Testament teaches us that we are at enmity with God. Why? Because we're condemned with the enemies of God. So we're born into the human condition. The human condition is sin and death. It's enmity with God. 
But the grace of God, the free gift of God offered through the sacrifice of his son is reconciliation. It's, it's having the, the sin forgiven, being reconciled, brought back into friendship and fellowship in the family of God. So we're redeemed so that we might be reconciled and reconciliation happens through the cross of Christ and, and, and as well as redemption. So we're redeemed so that we might be reconciled so that we might be restored to everything that was lost in Adam. Everything that was lost in Adam is regained in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ. And, and that happens at the resurrection, by the way, which I believe and contend very strongly is what being born again means. Being born again is the resurrection. So um, this is, by the way, how I teach my children the gospel of Christ. There are three words that if you understand these three words, you can understand the gospel. Redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. It's not about not going to hell or going to heaven. That is a, it, that is a, a very destitute understanding of the gospel. It's about redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. We're going to be restored as full-fledged sons back into the family of God. When, when all of this is, 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 comes to a completion and, and we are resurrected, we will enter back into the family of God as full-fledged sons, not just as servants. Remember the story of the prodigal son that, that he reasoned as he was as he was rolling around in the mire and eating the slop of pigs because he be became indentured to the swine herd. He reasoned that even the servants in his father's house are living better than him, even the lowly servants. And so he, he concocted this plan. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've, I, blo I blew that. that I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to ask to be brought back in as a son. That's done. I blew my inheritance. I'm not worthy to be your son. But please take me back as a servant, as a lowly servant. That was his plan. And so, of course, he makes his way back to his father's house. And what's so amazing about the story of the prodigal son is what is the posture of the father? Is it this mean, angry God who the atheists like to to say that God is this mean, angry figure in the Bible who's just full of vengeance and wants to smite everyone. No. Jesus shows us the posture of the Father towards mankind. He's not standing there to smite you. The prodigal son is going home, and he's expecting his father to be exceedingly wroth with him, to be angry and to reject him. But instead, he finds his father waiting for him waiting anxiously for him at the door, looking out, waiting for that son, that prodigal son, to return home. And when he sees the prodigal son approaching, he runs out to meet him, and he embraces him and kisses his neck. And the prodigal son says, Father, he tells him his, his spiel that he's prepared, Father, I've I'm, I've blown my inheritance. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as a servant. And what does the father say? He orders his servants, quick, quick, go. Bring new robes, bring sandals. Clothe him in new clothing. Because 
sandals, by the way, represent sonship because servants in that in that day and age usually went barefoot. That was a mark of a slave. And he's saying, shod his feet with sandals and put new robes on him. And those new robes represent the righteousness of Christ mm. and the resurrection. And and they put a ring on his finger, which is the seal of the father's house, the royal seal of the father's house. And he brought, brings his son back into the house, in, into his house, as a son, not as a servant, as a son. And it's the restoration. Everything that was lost, everything that he had squandered and forfeited was restored to him. And, and it's again, it's not about it's not about going to heaven or evading hell. It's about returning to the original purpose of mankind, going back into the Father's house. And I can think of nothing that is more exhilarating, more exciting than the notion that those of us who remain in Christ, who believe in the gospel of Christ, will be ultimately restored to everything that was lost in Adam. Woo, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the, uh, our, our genome will be, will be restored to the original blueprint. All of the genetic degeneracy that's been right. accumulated, the, the yeah. mutational load that's yeah. been accumulated over, over thousands of years, right. hundreds of generations will be rectified. And all of those, what I believe, all of those original, innate, incredible capabilities inherent in the human species will be restored mm -hmm. and 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 we will go back into the family that is the gospel of christ that was the mission of christ he told his disciples on the eve of his on the eve of his crucifixion that in my father's house are many rooms he's evoking the parable of the prodigal son on the eve of his cru crucifixion in my father's house are many rooms and i am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come back to you to get you and bring you so that you may be where I am. That's returning the lost sons, the lost sheep back into the fold, back into the family of God. So that is the, 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 the gospel of Christ that I'm referring to, that I believe that story has been lost and, and has been minimized and has been to some extent diminished uh, in the Western Church, and 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 I think that it is the defense against what's coming, against transhumanism, and and it it's it, it prepares you to be able to accommodate the revelations that are coming in regard to extraterrestrial life into your paradigm without losing your faith. And so that's why it's, I'm so passionate about it, and, and I think that it's, it's absolutely imperative that people understand the gospel of Christ. Okay, so um, just super important, and I, I really feel like that segues a lot into what we talk about with this whole subject of the alien agenda and, and transhumanism and this type of stu stuff. Now, <clears throat> I think he's reading from a different translation in the KJV because I did I did a keyword search for many rooms in the KJV. There's not one. Now there's some in other versions, but 
I this is the way I've always remembered John fourteen two. In my ha father's house are many mansions, not rooms, mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This is Jesus Christ talking. So um, I just wanted to clarify that because there's a big difference between a room and a mansion. <laughs> okay, so um, now let's go further here, and um, we're going to switch gears. And this is, is the United States preparing for war in the Middle East? Now, I'm not saying that what's going on there is going to bring about World War III. We've had a lot of different scenarios I've talked about over the years, which thought maybe this could turn into World War III. Up until this point, that has not happened. Will this be the, the triggering event? Things could definitely go sideways. Uh, one of the top reports on Drudge right now is um let's see here well, it looks like they they moved it down already I israeli ship reportedly hijacked in yemen by the houthis in the red sea so there's just so much screaming on both sides regarding this whole thing uh Let's just see what this report says. Well, is the United States preparing for a war in the Middle East, a broader regional war? Well, it sure as hell seems that way. We have warmongers like uh, neo neocon Senator uh, Lindsey Graham uh, passing a bill to give power to the president to go to war in Iran, just in case he needs it. We're preemptively doing this homework for him. We're going to get these paperwork out there ahead of time. So will American families be okay sending their sons and daughters to to fight and die for Israel or to fight a war uh, with Iran? That's the question. So is the United States heading for a broader regional war? What are the more the larger implications of all of this? Someone whose sources are impeccable and who has been spot on since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine. And of course, what's been unfolding in the Middle East is Colonel Douglas McGregor. Uh, Colonel, great to have you back on the show. Great to see you. Sure. So are we headed, you see these moves in the Senate, you see these moves in the House of Representatives, preemptively giving the power to the president, you know, you need to go to war with Iran, here's the paperwork, we've done the homework for you. Do you think a broader regional war is unfolding, or is this just fluff? Well, I think the potential for a broader regional war is very, very real. What most of your listeners probably don't understand, or maybe they do, I, I hope they do, is that people like uh, Lindsey Graham are out there uh, essentially dishing for money. Uh, he makes these ridiculous statements and he and Blumenthal sit down and craft legislation to do what you described, which is essentially, if you want to go to war with Iran, we're all, we're all for you. We'll do whatever you like. Uh, that means uh, big donors pour money into their political action committees and support structures. Uh, they have no accountability in the Senate. They're, they're not in charge of anything. They're not responsible for the armed forces. So it's all nonsense. When, when there is no accountability, uh, people say and do all sorts of stupid things. And that goes on all the time in Washington on the Hill. None of those people have responsibility for anything that happens in a war. They just vote for it. They, they send money and they pay no attention and then they posture. So let's set that aside for a minute. The problem we have right now is that I don't think we have anybody in the White House. Uh, what we have are people in the cabinet like Blinken and Austin and others and, and Sullivan, of course, as the national security advisor 
And then behind them are lots of people that nobody knows. Uh, some of them are huge donors to the Democratic Party, to the left. Uh, some of them are uh, just uh, self-appointed experts that, that hold appointed but unelected positions. And they are steering the ship of state in bad directions. We, we are not interested in going to war in the Middle East. We weren't interested in going to war in Eastern Europe. But that's what it looks like right now, just as it looked that way, you know, last fall in Eastern Europe. We wondered whether or not uh, we were going to see a massive intervention in Ukraine. Now we're wondering about what we're going to do. The truth is, we are even less prepared now and less capable now of taking on a regional war, particularly a war that would involve virtually everyone in the region against Israel and the United States. What you're, what you're seeing right now with the Iranian leadership just met with President Erdogan of Turkey. This is after their foreign ministers met. They held discussions. We, we obviously are not privileged to what those discussions were about, but we do have some speechifying by President Erdogan who points out the, the world is appalled by what is happening in Gaza, and we have nothing but silence from the United States and its Western allies. What is wrong with this? Now, the Iranian leadership is headed to Riyadh, to Saudi Arabia. These, these are the major players in the region. One cannot help but conclude that we're watching an alliance coalesce between all of these powers against what is happening with Israel and us. Meanwhile, we're attacking what we say are Iranian-backed Shiite militias and other targets, Syria, Iraq, elsewhere in, in the Middle East, on the assumption that they all take orders from Iran, which is not really true. They're still independent. The Iraqi militias are nationalist organizations. They may be Shiite, but they're still nationalists, and they're acting on their own. But even then, the, the little pinprick attacks that they're launching against U.S. positions are just that. They're more signals and warnings than anything else. But they're trying to alert people to the possibility that this could all turn dramatically in a, in a moment's notice into a major war launched against Israel and us. So we send a couple of carrier battle groups. We add some more people on the ground in uh, Syria and in Iraq. Uh, we add some air defense units to try and protect our forces from air and missile strikes if they're launched against us. But we're not ready for this, Morris. We don't have the ammunition. We don't have the logistical support structure in place. Two carrier battle groups are uh, supposed, supposedly there to deter. They're not going to deter anybody. They sit offshore in the ocean, very far from shore, because the closer they get to shore, the more danger they encounter. But we seem to think that this is sort of a battleship diplomacy. Uh, either you stand down or here are our new 21st century equivalents of battleships, even though it's a very old solution, carrier battle groups that we can launch 200, 300 cruise missiles. We can launch maybe 80, 90 aircraft at a stretch. But that's not going to win any wars. And, and the people assured know that. And now they increasingly have reach and capability that didn't exist. I mean, the biggest problem that we don't seem to come to terms with, we didn't come to terms with it in Russia. We assumed that Russia was weak and incapable and could do nothing but respond to our demands. We got an education. You have a similar phenomenon in the region today of the Middle East. This is not 1973. This is 50 years later. All of these countries are more capable, both in terms of their populations that are better educated 
and more capable of acting decisively in uniform, but especially Turkey and Iran. These are nations of nearly 90 million people each. Uh, the Iranians have some of the best air and missile and space experts in the world. They put together an arsenal of missiles that could dramatically destroy Israel if launched. Then you have the Turks. They can put two million men into the field in a month, and they have an excellent army. They also have uh, new missiles in their arsenals that could easily destroy Israel and actually attack our offshore naval power, just as the Iranians do. And the populations in the region are 100% behind them. In other words, we're dealing with an entire region of people that is enraged at what is happening in Gaza. They went from saying that what Hamas had done was ugly and inappropriate, they'd gone too far and committed these atrocious crimes, to a point where they're now watching over 10,000 dead in Gaza, including thousands of children and women and old men. All of this is reaching them through television, through mass media, and they are enraged that no one is willing to step in, particularly the United States, and say, that's enough. And normally, you know, that's what presidents have done historically. They've intervened and said, all right, you, you regain control of the Suez. Now you want to cross the Suez Canal, negative. You cannot cross the Suez Canal. If you cross the Suez Canal in 1973, that could put us in a warlike status with Russia. Russia will not tolerate the destruction of Egypt. So the Iranian, the Israelis eventually ceased and desisted, pulled back over the Suez, and eventually we got an agreement. No one is intervening right now. No one is saying, wait a minute, you know, what are you doing? You're just carpet bombing Gaza. I mean, it's way beyond, well, we're targeting what we think is Somalia. They're, they're absolutely flattening the place and killing large numbers of people in the process. But right now, Mr. Netanyahu has far more influence and authority in Washington than President Biden. And that's a fact. Hmm. A few weeks ago, you said this, and I think it was spot on then, and I think we're seeing it unfold now. You said, quote, you have an understandable and justified interest from Israel to destroy Hamas. However, I think the current plan will provoke an enormous reaction from the Muslim world. Pretty much everyone from Indonesia to Morocco is going to be extremely upset, and I think we will see the front against Israel in the region coalesce into a real military alliance in, against Israel. We need to protect Israel from itself, but you can... End quote. But you can only, I think, lead a horse to water. And I think the frustration I've been seeing from a number of supporters of Israel is Netanyahu has now screwed himself, that they've gone a bridge too far. And this is now going to lead to the destruction of Israel by carrying out what has unfolded in Gaza. Going after Hamas, fine. Uh, thousands of children being killed, not fine. The displacement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians, not fine. There's secret plans drawn up to send 500,000 Palestinians to Canada, the Trudeau government. Well, 500,000 to Ireland, to the United Kingdom. I'm sure the Biden administration is making plans right now to have New York filled with Palestinians. So I think you were right about this. Uh, have we failed to protect Israel from itself? Oh, absolutely. Uh, no one is intervening to do that. On the contrary, I would compare this to the so-called blank check that was issued by the Kaiser to Vienna regarding the invasion of Serbia. That was really what's, what sparked the, the, second, or the First World War. We've given Netanyahu a blank check and said, <clears throat> by all means, go for it. Uh, 
Now there are people in Washington inside the White House who are afraid. What they've done is effectively open the cage door and release the tiger. And the tiger doesn't want to get back in the cage. The tiger wants to finish off everybody in the neighborhood. The tiger is Netanyahu, and he has concluded this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We have enormous control and influence over the United States, over its armed forces, its military power, its economic power, because the Israeli economy is being destroyed. Israel Israel's in bad shape economically as a result of this war, but we can compensate for that. How do we compensate? We send billions of dollars over there to keep Israel afloat. So he says this is the perfect time for us to settle accounts. We'll wipe everybody out. And there's a certain amount of arrogance assuming that no one in the region can act against us. And if they do, well, we have the United States. Of course, no one bothered to ask, is it in the interest of the United States to be drawn into a regional war that would involve the Turks, the Iranians, as well as all of the Arab states? I don't think it is. But when you bring that up, people scoff and say, oh, that could never happen. The Shiites hate the Sunnis. The Turks and the Iranians will never cooperate. Uh, the Arabs have always been poor at organizing and cooperating. Uh, Egypt has nowhere else to go. They need us. They're not going to abandon us. And, and frankly speaking, the keystone in the edifice of peace in the region is really Egypt. Egypt has maintained an excellent set of relations with Israel for 50 years. If Egypt defects, and that's not impossible because right now in the streets in Cairo, my contacts over there tell me that people are saying that Sisi is a tool of Israel, that he's somehow or another either an American or an Israeli puppet. Well, that's bad news for Mr. Sisi, the general, if he wants to stay in charge. And remember, the Muslim Brotherhood took over in Egypt under Obama. He went there and congratulated every Mr. Morsi was the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, they were thrown out by a coup, and we all welcome that because we were worried what that meant for Egypt. Well, remember that Hamas is an armed wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. Remember that Mr. Erdogan is the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in the Middle East. Let's also remember that Israel formed Hamas, as we've gotten into in previous teachings. He's not, you have to understand, he's not coming at that from a balanced perspective. Like what we've tried to give you in the previous studies we've done on this. Usually it's pick a side. One side wrong, other side right. Good, bad, right, left, Democrat, Republican, Coke, Pepsi. Okay, so with this conflict, it's it's that's what it's all about. Pick a side. Only one side can be right. Okay, so understand he's not coming at it from that perspective. But, but I, it is an interesting general overview of how he perceives all of this, this Colonel Douglas McGregor and in North America. All of these things begin to fall together, the pieces. And you have this understanding in Iran and Turkey that while they don't like each other and they disagree on things, they're not going to go to war with each other because they understand how pointless and destructive that is. But when it comes to Israel, they can agree. They don't like it. They don't think it should exist. And they're fed up. And they're disgusted because we have failed to exercise restraint. We haven't restrained the Israelis. And you're not going to see anything happen in Washington. Everyone yeah, is they're all bought and sold. It seems like it seems like they've got some dirt on like every member of Congress no, or do. something. They really seem to be in the tank no matter what what yes. the cost for Israel. Well, remember the lobby, the lobby and you know Professor Mearsheimer and uh, his colleague wrote a book, Waltz, about the Israel lobby. And one of the things that people don't understand 
is that that lobby, and they're not the only ones, by the way. There are other lobbies that operate this way. The pharmaceutical lobbies do business this way. The defense lobbies are similar. We want to support you, Congressman so-and-so, Senator so-and-so. We'd like to give you this money mm-hmm. that will go into your political action committee to help reelect you. But if you're not going to support us, well, we'll just go over here to your opponent and he'll get all the money. And so you're in a tough position sitting on the Hill. Everyone worries in Congress all the time about reelection. Senators are there for six years. It's a different kettle of fish. But if you're only there for two years, you spend probably 50 percent of your time or more trying to beef up your reelection campaign because the next thing you know, it's reelection time. So they never really stop campaigning and they never really stop hunting for money. It's a terrible system. It doesn't work. That's why it's all back to the chief executive. Where is the chief executive? What's his vision? <laughs> there is no vision. There is nothing from the White House. It's empty. And the, I know that the NSC staff and the National Security Advisor, they are very afraid. They have a tiger wandering through the neighborhood and they can't get it back into the cage because the tiger controls them. It's sort of wag the dog. We're the right. dog. We're being wagged. The dog is not in charge of his tail. I want to talk. Right. So that's that's um, that particular uh, perspective on this. Now, let's kind of look at this from another perspective, uh, which is very, very interesting. Okay, so the next video, a different little different perspective here. The real reason the U.S. and Israel invaded the Gaza Strip. Now, I was not aware of this. And this does add, this is a multifactorial uh, subject. This is not just one little narrative can describe the whole rigmarole going on in the Middle East, in the Gaza Strip. I've tried to give you Israel's perspective. And we know that, yes, this all started, what was it, October 7th? Israel pulled back, let it all happen on purpose, okay? Didn't defend their own citizens. Then sent in the IDF, I don't know how many hours later, to clean up Hamas. And then that's what sparked this whole thing. That's what that's what created this whole mess. And it was all done, all by design, on purpose, by Israel. Okay, we know that. Um, and then that gave them the pretext to go into Gaza and do what they're doing now. I'm not saying Israel's being perfect about the way they're handling what they've done in Gaza. I'm not saying that either. So again, it's not about for me picking sides. It's about giving a balanced view on this. I gave you the history of the Palestinians. Okay, I gave you the history of Islam. Um, we've talked in many other studies about the wicked evils of the Zionistic government of Israel. The Talmud-loving, Christ-hating, Kabbalah-practicing aspects of that. So again, it's multifactorial. It's, it's not just... And then there's this that we're going to be talking about now, which is also a whole other wrinkle. Not long ago, a top-ranking U.S. general said Americans must be ready to fight and die for Israel. So you might be asking yourself, Why? Why would we send American soldiers to die in Israel? A friend of mine reminded me of this today, actually, this General Clark. Uh, you're probably smart enough to wonder, um, by now you are, what's the real reason that the United States and Israel are taking over Gaza? Is it really about Hamas, as neocons and Netanyahu would have us believe, or is Hamas the perfect cover 
to seize control of massive natural gas deposits that Palestinians own and control offshore, right of right uh, off the shore of Gaza and the Gaza Strip. Call me cynical, but I have heard this story before. Western powers using the cover of terrorism to seize control over massive oil and gas resources and oceanfront property so they can build ports. There's a reason we don't give Afghanistan, uh, but we are building a second military base. Uh, hopefully that I got rid of I don't know if I got to that cuss word in time. I'm sorry. If I didn't, I'm sorry. Um, I meant to, I wrote a note, a note to myself to mute at 102 and then I saw it, I looked up and I'm like, oh, so if it got in there, sorry. Iraq and is right on or right next to uh, Iraqi oil fields. So of course, I thought we weren't in Iraq anymore. Like why? And we're now building a second base, but this time it's right near oil fields. So we need to make sure we have control of that oil. Last week, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was asked, you know, how long will Israeli forces occupy Gaza after it's been destroyed? His response wasn't a surprise to me at all or anybody watching this show, I'm sure. Watch. President Biden has said that it would be a mistake for Israel to occupy Gaza. Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not. Uh, uh, I think Israel will, for uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. And, 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 and in all fairness, they have been launching rockets from Palestine, thousands, over 100,000 of these rockets at Israel indiscriminately for decades upon decades upon decades. And people that come into this narrative, I, I notice in alternative media, and they don't know the full story. They don't really know the full story about Islam and all the atrocities. They, they don't know the full story about Hamas. Now, I understand Israel created Hamas, as is even Ron Paul, um, Congressman Ron Paul and Senator Rand Paul, his son, have said. And I played those clips. So, again, it's, it's, it's complicated. It's multifactorial. There's a lot of aspects at play here. Um, but it's 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 a convoluted thing. And, and, and in all reality, looking from the outside, if you're just looking at it from the Israeli perspective, I mean, yeah, they've launched rockets at us for uh, and, and it's suicide bombings that where they would come in and blow themselves up in Israeli cafes and stuff like that indiscriminately. And when Israel has fired back, they will very, very common tactic by Hamas, by Islam in general, is using women and children and civilians as human shields. They do it on purpose by design. They do it over, it's part of the way they wage jihad. Then they can spark the outrage of, oh look, they just they killed all these children and they did this and they did this. I'm not saying Israel's perfect, okay, by any stretch of the imagination, um, but that's a very common tactic of Hamas. So he's basically saying, and this was, I think, the goal all along, this is probably the reason Israel stood down in the first place, that they're going to be there indefinitely. From now on, Israel is going to be going in there and they will be there on an indefinite basis because he says we've tried every other way and it hasn't worked. So, anyway. Yeah, so of course they will occupy it indefinitely, even after Hamas is long gone, because it was never about Hamas in the first place. Wake up. 
they're playing us like a fiddle once again. They love nothing more than to watch people argue on Twitter. Uh, you're an anti-Semite. You're pro-Palestinian. Does Israel have the right to exist? You don't think Israel has a right to exist? What's wrong with you? Stop killing babies. These elites are running around. They're running the show right now. They're just laughing all the way to the bank because their plan is rolling out exactly the way they want for everyone to be fighting about it. Well, well, it and again, yes, this is all part of the right-left paradigm. Coke, Pepsi, you've got to pick a team. You've got to pick a team. And, and this is why I've tried to be as balanced as I can when addressing this subject. And it is complicated, but they do want to get everybody just fighting about um, this particular subject and not looking at the puppet masters at the top that are going to use this for whatever means, whether that's launching of World War Three, whether that's, you know, whatever agenda they've got. And people, of course, are being killed. They don't really care about innocent people at all. And the same thing happened in Iraq. Millions. Of but hold on. Where, where is the outrage over all the decades of all the atrocities that Muslim terrorists and Hamas has committed against Israel, which are real? All the over 100,000 rockets launched at them indiscriminately for decades. The, the suicide bombers. This type of... Where's the outrage when that happens? No, there's no outrage when that happens. It's let's, it's myoptic. Let's only look at this. Let's only look at this in this particular time period. That's all that matters. So what I see is very little balance from any alternative media news source that will that wants to look at the totality of the big picture about the evil on both sides, okay, that's going on. But I, again, I played you that video on <laughs> the Palestinians and, and their inception and what they were all about from the very, very beginning. And that, if you want to know more about that, look at the last study that I that I put out there. And I, I think that speaks for itself. Iraqi civilians died as a result. Thousands of American soldiers died in this boondoggle. And remember Madeleine Albright when asked about collateral damage of children? When civilians are being killed, children are being killed. Yeah. What were her exact words? She said it was worth it. It was worth yeah, it. She did. So this is how they think. They don't really give a rat's behind about you. They care about their long-term plans. And we warned on this show from the very, very beginning of the Israeli conflict to beware of false flags. So let's come back to this whole thing in a second here. But first, some context around natural gas. Over the past week, it started getting cold in Europe. And this weekend, Europe started using that natural gas. It's stored up as a safety mechanism against an energy disaster that could face Europe. Across the board, countries in the EU started drawing supplies in order to heat homes and businesses. Then temperatures went back up a little bit in certain areas. But as soon as temperatures fall again, the same thing is going to happen. Tapping into this backup supply after the United States destroyed Europe's Nord Stream pipeline. It was a brilliant move by the United States, cut off Europe's flow of cheap natural gas from Russia and force Europe to buy it from the United States. It's a brilliant move, right? It's a brilliant business move. And that's exactly what happened. Europe started paying nearly double the prices that they used to pay to Russia. U.S. companies started turning record profits. Last year, Europe became the number one destination for natural gas sales for U.S. companies setting a new record. Look at this chart. This chart's amazing. Instead of a simple pipeline delivering gas to Germany and Europe, look at this. Now this massive spike 
to Europe from United States liquefied gas exports. Surging, of course, now. Yeah, it's up 119% from, uh, I guess, the previous year. So, yeah, that worked out from a monetary standpoint. That worked, I guess, blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline worked out very well for the United States. Uh, their liquefied natural gas exports by destination. Yeah, it worked out very, very good for them. Europe. Instead of a simple pipeline delivery. Again, the love of money is the root of all evil, and that's what typically this will all boil back to. Gas to Germany and Europe. Now the United States puts it on liquefied natural gas on ships like this, mm. and it transports it across the ocean. There's your your <laughs> you know green plan. That's a brilliant idea, right? That's we're all about environmental concerns. So instead of a clean gas pipeline that delivers it, now let's go through all of the extra legwork and cost. I wonder carbon footprint and putting it on a boat. diesel. Right. <laughs> Probably. What else is going to? It's not solar panels, right? It's. Well, I wonder like, if it runs on natural gas. Actually, that'd be brilliant. And like, well, it hey, usually is a can... cleaner source of energy, but not if you ship it, you know, all the way around the world. Go ahead, David. Yeah, add in the extra layer well, of carbon. Yeah, exactly. And I was just going to say, it, but it gives them the a, a reason to not have to listen to people up in arms about fracking. They're like, we don't need to listen to these people anymore. We can get it overseas and not have to fight these people. Yeah, we don't have to do it in our own backyard. We'll just right. buy it from America where they do fracking. So American companies are putting this liquefied natural gas on these ships, transporting it across the ocean. Europe pays almost 50% more. Anywhere, I mean, the, the prices range anywhere from like 35% more up to 50% more. Remember, German politicians outraged. They're like, why the hell are we buying our stuff now from America? We played you those sound bites here, uh, members of uh, the German Bundestag. So, in fact, right after the United States blew up the pipeline, natural gas exports to Europe exploded. Look at this chart. Look at the blue bars to the right of your screen. And look how China and Asia declined in American exports. China started getting more from Russia. Of course, the Belt and Road Initiative is going to help all of that, right? And Europe started getting all of their natural gas from the United States. Hmm. And it's about to get much worse. According to Bloomberg, demand for natural gas is set to rise through the region not going to slow down anytime soon. In fact, according to the EU's top energy official, says that the U.S. gas will be needed for decades. Decades. U.S. gas will be needed for decades to come, and without it, EU would face disaster, they admit. It's amazing how that happens. So then let's circle back to Gaza and a couple of points here, just so we have that context there. In the year 2000, there was a shocking discovery made right off the coast of Gaza, in Palestinian-controlled ocean waters. It just so happened that geologists found a massive natural gas deposit. Whoa, really? So this deposit could transform a country, transform it, lift it out of poverty, completely alter it. Just look what it did to Norway in the 1960s. Norway, of course, went from being a poor fishing country to the most economically advanced country in the world. Norway leads every major category from healthcare to life expectancy to income to safety, all thanks to oil, and they get to keep their own oil. Imagine that. They find it, they bring it out of the ocean, they get to keep the profits. Isn't that a novel idea? I mean, it that's was. What, uh, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, that's what Venezuela wanted to do. They wanted to basically give the oil back to the people, and America was like, no, 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 we have too much interest in your oil down there. Let's form a coup. Yeah, right. they did have to, in Norway, fight the United Kingdom for rights to some of those Black Sea deposits. So it wasn't as easy as that, but 
they, you know, they won most of it. Yeah. Well, it turns out Britain has very long tendrils, which we'll see here in a second. So imagine, though, if African countries got to keep their own oil instead of the United States, France, and the UK. Can you imagine that? These African uh, countries? Every um, dictator that has imagined that found itself on the business end of a U.S. bomb. Yeah, a business end of a coup, right? And those that are in power, of course, have aligned themselves with the U.K. government, with France, with the United <clears throat> States, mostly in Britain and France. And so all of those, the money and riches, of course, flows out into Europe rather than into those African countries, of course. <clears throat> so could you imagine a prosperous Africa? What would that look like? Uh, you can't because we steal all their re resources and their wealth. So you can't, you can't imagine that. But we'll do Christmas songs, you know, to raise money for uh, feeding kids in Africa. We'll do Christmas songs and we'll get like uh, Bono and Sting together. <laughs> and we'll, uh, you know, we'll do those Christmas songs and that'll raise money for them. Um, so I'm sure that's <clears throat> the same thing as having billions of dollars in oil profits. Well, the same thing is about to happen to Gaza. Uh, as Jana points out here, the field was discovered in 2000 by BG Group, but as of 2021, its exploitation is still subject to negotiations. It's been estimated that Gaza Marine contains, which is a deposit, contains upwards of one trillion cubic feet of natural gas. One trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Wow. And RT uh, just did a great report on this Palestinian gas that sits right next to Gaza and the oil in the West Bank. Check this out. You probably wouldn't know it, but Gaza is rich, the gas rich, at least 1.4 trillion cubic feet rich to be precise. But there's a catch. Geologists and natural resources economists. And also 1.5 billion barrels of oil. They didn't even mention that part. They're just talking about the natural gas. So that said, geologists and natural resources economists have confirmed that the occupied Palestinian territory lies above a sizable reservoir of oil and natural gas in Area C of the occupied West Bank and Mediterranean coast off the Gaza Strip. I'm gonna, you're going to hear a little bit of that again, but I just wanted to, you're going to hear it like right in the middle, so I wanted it to make more sense. Have confirmed that the occupied Palestinian territory lies above sizable reservoirs of oil and natural gas wealth in Area C of the occupied West Bank and the Mediterranean coast off the Gaza Strip. <clears throat> to date, the real and opportunity costs of the occupation exclusively in the area of oil and natural gas have accumulated to tens, if not hundreds, of billions of dollars. Back in 1999, the Palestinian authorities signed a deal with British Gas. Just off the Gaza coast, they struck it lucky. And two wells were drilled. That's Gaza Marine 1 and 2. It was a multi-billion dollar gift from God. An economic boon, both home and abroad. This is one of the key messages here today. There will be gas available for export. And from my conversations with Palestinian officials, including President Arafat, it is clear that they have no interest in just sitting on a gas surplus. Fast forward to 2007. Hamas comes to power and Israel launches an offensive on the Gaza Strip, leaving behind 1,400 dead Palestinians, but taking with it the gas fields. Now, within the year, Israel announced the discovery of the Leviathan natural gas field, which did include Gaza's riches, all in all valued at $453 billion. So imagine what they could do with that money. 
Uh, in 2011, Israel tried to take control over the natural gas deposits that belong to the Palestinians. So Israel tried to step in and swoop in and take the money and the wealth associated with those natural gas deposits and oil. Even Wikipedia, we know how corrupt Wikipedia is, right? Even Wikipedia explains how this went down. How under peace negotiations, Israel asked for control of all fuel and revenues destined for Gaza and the West Bank. That was about 12 years ago. So just to underline that point, hey, we're trying to find some common ground here in these peace negotiations. And as part of the negotiations, you want all of my oil and natural gas. How exactly does that work? So we're going to, you want us to uh, admit that Israel exists as a country. Um, <clears throat> and, and also admit that Israel has historical rights to the territory as well. Israel only asks Palestine, the Palestinians to uh, acknowledge that. They don't ask any other country to acknowledge that. That's part of their the continued way that they kind of bomb these negotiations. And also give us all of your oil and gas and the wealth associated with it. Well, of course, surprisingly, the Palestinians rejected that offer. Still, the natural gas sits there. Why? Well, Shell... BG Group, which is now Shell, backed out under pressure from Israel, and no other company wants to touch it for fear of being blacklisted by Israel. Why won't BP touch it? Why won't Exxon touch it? Well, if you do, you'll feel the wrath of the Israeli government. In the meantime, Israel wants to become a new distributor of natural gas to Europe at the same time that Russia, Russian gas has been cut off. Iran is sanctioned and Syria is under U.S. occupation, squatting on their oil reserves. So in 2022, Israel's energy minister said this. This is a historical moment in which the small country of Israel becomes a significant player in the global energy market. The Memorandum of Understanding will enable Israel for the first time to export Israeli natural gas to Europe. And it is even more impressive looking at the significant set of agreements we signed over the last year, which position Israel and the Israeli energy and water sectors as a key global player. Oh, okay. So, Palace, it turns out, wonder, go ahead. Does that mean Jason Bourne that we talked about yesterday potentially worked for Israel? <clears throat> Going down and looking to blow for up the Nord Stream pipeline? Perhaps. Perhaps, in fact, that is true. So turns out that Palestinians have long been in the way, as a now declassified memo from July of 1963 shows us. Israel, of course, rolled out a plan to build the Ben Gurion Canal. As some of you in the chat have been pointing out, St. Clayton, do not forget about the Ben Gurion Canal. Yes, we're not forgetting about it. Here we are to talk about it because they can't control the Suez Canal. So build one themselves, the Ben Gurion Canal, that connects the Mediterranean Sea with the Gulf and connects the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean as a result. as And by the way, the Suez Canal, of course, and the Straits of Hormuz, the Suez Canal, by all accounts now, under the control of BRICS, right? BRICS nations. So, of course, like this plan is still there, and you would absolutely want to have control of your own canal and the transport. As the memo points out from 1963, they would use nuclear explosives to clear the site which conveniently sits next to where Palestinians live, and they would use conventional explosives then in Gaza, where it's a more populated area. <laughs> this is literally in the memo, and I'll quote it exactly from the Israeli government at the bottom of your screen here. Approximately 130 <laughs> miles... showing the document. 
The 160-mile length of the route are in virtually unpopulated desert wasteland and are thus amenable to nuclear excavation methods. Conventional methods could be used in the vicinity of the populated areas. Well, that, this is a very old document, though. I'm looking at the date, and I, I don't think they would try that now. But and, and, and near the coastal plain near Gaza. So that's all right there. You can read the nuclear explosives used for the creation of the Ben-Gurion Canal. Here's what it would have looked like right there. Of course, you can see it going right through Gaza. So they would have control. So it is remarkable that Gaza is rich in recently discovered natural gas and oil. It's very curious then why Western leaders are totally fine with Israel invading Gaza and the West Bank to take indefinite control over these oil-rich areas. And this is all happening while Europe needs a lot of natural gas. And the United States just blew up their pipeline. This has nothing to do with terrorism. It has everything to do with money and the control of natural resources. Let me know your thoughts on this. Well, and again, it, I think it's multifactorial. I don't think it's the only reason, uh, but it, it may be the main reason. In the comments below, I think that you like to wrap themselves in a like in a blanket of terrorism, mm -hmm. and that's how they justify these things. But, and, but the terrorism is real, though. The, the, Hamas, the terrorism Hamas has perpetuated against Israel is very, very real and has been going on since, I mean, you can go back to the 40s or the 30s. We, again, the video that I played in the last study documents that. So, again, let's ignore all that, you know, and, and, and just act like there is no terroristic Islamic component to this whole thing, which is which is also very unfair. Absolutely. What, this is not to downplay what happened on October 7th. Yes, horrible, absolutely devastating yeah. what happened on October 7th. But Israel did stand down and let it happen on purpose by design so that they, this would happen. So again, you know. What happened on September 11th was absolutely horrible and devastating. But it's the response and it's the underlying politics at play here that are driving all of this, I believe. Okay. So I wanted you to be aware of that. I wanted you to be aware of that. Now I'm running out of time here, but the, and now we have this um, very urgent prayer, prayer alert. Okay, so this is from the website allisrael.com uh, from Jerusalem in Israel. With the greatest degree of urgency, I am writing this open letter to Israeli leaders at the highest levels of our government and the military. Palestinian Christians in northern Gaza are in extreme danger. And the situation is becoming worse by the hour. They must be moved south. They must not be moved south. They must be evacuated to the West Bank immediately. Now, this is th these are a group of Christians petitioning this that know the lay of the land. They know the territory. I, I wouldn't have a clue about what they're saying, uh, but they do. So... Um, let me explain why. Let me first be clear. Palestinians who love Jesus Christ and are called to follow Jesus are not members of Hamas. Well, yeah, of course. They do not support, they're not supporters of radical Islamic terrorism, like Hamas is, obviously. They do not support the terror attacks on Israel. They want to live in peace and be free to follow the Bible and love their neighbors. But right now, they are in an impossible situation. They are trapped in northern Gaza amid all the bombings and gunfire and have nowhere in Gaza to go that is safe. The policy of the Israeli Defense Force has understandably and rightly been to urge all Palestinians in and around Gaza City to flow to sanctuary areas in the south of the Gaza Strip, where they will be safer from the Israeli military operations and have access to food, clean water, and medical care. I have strongly supported this policy. Indeed, 
I have publicly praised Israel's civilian and military leadership for this policy of showing such care and compassion for innocent Palestinian civilians. But let's be clear, the situation for Palestinian Christians is very, very different than the Palestinian Muslims. Palestinian Christians are terrified of being forced to go south. Why? Because they have seen the genocide that ISIS launched against Christians in Iraq and Syria just a few years ago. Palestinian Christians are therefore terrified that they will be slaughtered if they go south. Evidently, that is where the, you know, the radical Islamist Palestinians, which are the majority, are located. Okay? They're in the north. They don't want to they don't have want to have to be all lumped in with the Palestinian Islamic um residents, okay? They will be slaughtered if they go south. They are terrified that their wives and their daughters will be, will be raped if they go south. Well, that's standard par for the course stuff. I got into that in the last three or four teachings. If they are forced to go out of their historic church buildings, the safe havens in which they are currently being sheltered in and around Gaza City, and they are then sent forth south, they believe they will face genocide too. There are no safe havens for Christians in southern Gaza. As followers of the crucified and risen Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, they are considered pagans and heathens and idol worshippers by Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and all violent Islamic extremists, of which there's no mention of them really now at all. It's just all the atrocities Israel's committing in Palestine. There's no, there's no mention of all the, the savages that have been there for decades committing all these atrocities it's like they don't exist anymore. No, they very much exist. The Christians know the ancient and very recent history of this region. Therefore, they know they can expect no mercy from Hamas and the others in the south. I mean, can you imagine how angry Hamas would be in the other Palestinian terrorists? I mean, they're probably wanting to kill, you know, anybody that's not in alignment with them at this point. Reports indicate the IDF has ordered all Palestinian Christians in northern Gaza to evacuate the three churches they are currently sheltering in and move south in the next five days. That's horrific. Because don't tell me they don't know what they're doing. So I'm not I'm not saying, oh, the IDF is perfect either. Okay, because that is ridiculous. They've got to know this. Okay, they know the lay of the land, obviously, like anybody would in that area. Um, but if they do, Hamas and the other terrorists will do to the Christians exactly what they did to the Israeli Jews on October 7th. Um, October 7th, was, which was when Hamas went in, Israel totally stood down, they let them come in by design, on purpose, and slaughter all these Jews. It was their 9-11, it was their Pearl Harbor event that they were going to use to justify going in to um, Gaza. And that's exactly what has happened up to this point. Okay? So they will... They know Hamas and the other terrorists will do to the Christians exactly what they did to Israeli Jews on October 7th and all the other communities on the Gaza border. They will butcher them. They will behead them. They will burn them alive. I gave you proof of all of that. Okay. Again, no mention of that in the, um, in the current narrative. Typically, you're going to see from alternative media and or mainstream media. No, no, no mention of what they did on October 7th. Even though Israel did stand down, they butchered them, they beheaded them, they burned them alive, but only after raping, torturing, and mutilating them and their families. I gave the firsthand accounts of different people from various uh, parts that saw this firsthand. This is what Islam does in its purest form. If you're being a good 
Um, Muslim, according to the Quran, you can go, you can rape, steal, kill, pillage, you can do whatever you want to the infidels, you can behead them. And in fact, the Quran wants you to do that. So they're just being true to their religion. Okay? Um, please, I beg you, my government, the Israeli government, please do not let this happen. Instead, I ask you to immediately evacuate all the Palestinian Christians, roughly 1,000 of them, to the West Bank and do it quickly. So again, I put this out as a prayer request and I give you the link to where this came from um, so that you know you can, you can act on that as well. Okay, and I'm going to try to squeeze this video in just because I really want to drive this point home. Meet the true face of Israel, Islam, Bakabazi, a.k.a. boy play. One of the most disgusting evil customs or traditions in the world. Protect the children. This is all over the Arab world, not just Afghanistan, was one of the comments. Bazi, where they take young boys, force and coerce them into dancing like this for grown men before they take them and actually abuse them. Bacha oh, Bazi. This is so sickening. It shows them doing this. And I've just given you descriptions of this before, but these they've got these little boys now twerking. They dress them up usually with makeup, and they've got them twerking like their rear ends in front of all these disgusting child molesting hell-bound muslim islamic devils and this is all throughout the middle east okay and uh, the dancing boys of afghanistan is is, is another version of this um you've got all different various variations and flavors of this and they take these little boys and they buy them as sex slaves and when they start to grow facial hair, then they're then they're basically turned out onto the streets, and they typically repeat the cycle. Then they then they're like the homeless and stuff, and this is what they do to their own children. So you can imagine what they do to an infidel's child if this is what they'll do to their own children. Boy play is reportedly a practice that takes place in Afghanistan. It is a centuries-long tradition. Oh, it's more near though involves young boys being given over to older more powerful men for the purposes of slavery and dual abuse these pre-adolescent boys come from impoverished families they're little sex slaves is what they are taken from their parents end up becoming slaves to influential men who make them their entertainment by putting them in makeup and women's clothing they take them off and take advantage of them reportedly there was a point where parents willingly and knowingly gave their kids over knowing that they would be used for these customs and listen to this once they reach the age where they start growing facial hair they are no longer desired and are done away with this stuff is horrifying according to the yeah, i don't know what done away with means but I, I don't i think they're just turned out i don't think they kill them i don't, who knows with these savages i don't need but maybe in some cases they are i don't know he's showing all those examples in the background as he's talking back in 2011 a captain of the u.s special forces beat up an afghan national police officer yep. after it was found out that the officer had a young boy tied to his bed and you can imagine what he was using him for mm. and it's not just little i on that is how many of you guys have seen the videos like this one where a nine-year-old girl is sold by her father to be the child bride of a 55 year old man you can hear the little girl crying as she's being taken away this stuff it's right on cnn and this was on cnn okay i mean hey if if muhammad is their leader is if he's the founder of islam and his favorite favorite wife was aisha 
A-I-S-H-A, that was her name, okay, which is, it's it's well known in Islamic writings, that was his favorite bride. He, no, I'm sorry, he took her as his wife at the age of six, I'm sorry, but supposedly didn't bed her until the age of nine, being merciful, okay? If that is your leader, and he is the gold standard of how you are to behave, then it's encouraging the whole lot of these slimy devils to all be child molesters, okay? So it's incredibly, incredibly common and not frowned upon and part of their society. Is horrific. Okay, and that's, that's all. So I, I wanted to end there. I'm, I just squoze that in. <laughs> not a really good word there, but squeezed that in. Anyway, God bless you, and we will see you in part two. Scott Johnson's 1,000 plus audio teachings and PDF documents are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H.com. In addition, we also offer a free Christian current event and health email newsletter. You can sign up at contendingfortruth.com. These email newsletters typically only generate about three to six emails per month if you subscribe to both lists. Please prayerfully help us to continue this work. For mail correspondence or to support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2359 Highway 70, Southeast, number 321, Hickory, NC, 28602. Or on the internet, a PayPal donation link can be found at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.